may be seated. Um, before we turn to the scriptures this morning, I was talking with Ray Washam, and, and Ray was telling me that he and Margaret have been married 68 years. Is that right, Ray? 68? Um, that's no mean feat. And you think about that. Uh, that's a lot of love, and, and I was speaking to somebody else, and I found out that Roseanne and Joe Mitchell are celebrating 51 years today. Can you believe that? 51 years. And so I'm, I'm grateful for this example of, uh, of, of uh, marriage bliss, and Ray and, and Joe are going to lead a marriage seminar next week for all of us who are wondering how they did this. Uh, but more importantly, I, I just want to encourage you to think about praying for marriage in our day. For the calling of the church is to honor marriage. And we live in a culture that's forgotten what marriage is. The splendidness of it and the joy of it, knowing that God has ordained us to be uh, people who make commitments. These past couple of weeks, we have as a church... Uh, our joint session and diaconate meeting, we were sitting and hearing from uh, the youth pastor at Peninsula Baptist Church talking about the challenge of reaching this newest generation, the Z generation. And one of the things that they are afraid to make is commitments. They're afraid to make commitments to anything because they're worried if they make a commitment, then once they've made that commitment, they'll miss an opportunity that may be better that comes down the road. And so they go through life making halfway commitments. Well, I'll show up maybe, maybe. We're doing an outreach in our church uh, led by Melissa and Logan on Sunday nights that is trying to reach people who are unchurched. And that's happening and is a way of trying to set a table for people to come and hear about Christ. I want you to pray about that. I want you to be earnestly praying that God would move in our community and through us as a church to present the gospel in very powerful and clear ways. Um, the, days of, of the days of the church expecting people to come to our doors is no longer here. We're going to have to begin thinking creatively about how to reach people. And what I mean by that is we're going to have to think of ways that are different from what we used to do. And so I want to ask you if you'll be praying about that. Be praying. How do we reach a generation now? A third, third generation that no longer believes there is any kind of objective truth to follow in life. And so as we, uh, as we approach the scriptures this morning, I, I want to do so with that prayerful thought that, do you know why we even take time to celebrate Palm Sunday? Do you even know why? Um, I want to ask if you'll stand with me this morning as we read from Matthew, the 21st chapter. Matthew records for us what the other Gospels record, and it is a story about Jesus entering Jerusalem, and it's called traditionally in the, in the Bibles you have, it's subcategorized or titled the triumphal entry, and it was anything but triumphal. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. 
If anyone says to you, say that the Lord needs them. And he will send them right away. Excuse me, sorry. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, foal of a donkey. Disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd gathered their cloaks on the road, and while others cut branches from the tree and spread them on the road. The crowds went ahead of them. Those that followed shouted, Hosanna to son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? Crowd answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of God. You may be seated. When Cindy and I uh, had the opportunity to take Anne for a, a graduation present, we told her, we said, We would love to take you someplace special to celebrate the fact that you have graduated from college. We were so grateful. She got out in four years. Let me tell you, so grateful that we said, we have saved up enough money. Where would you like to go? And she said, well, I, I have been studying art history, and I want to go to, to, uh, to Italy. And so we were floored. And so we, we worked with a, a, a wonderful uh, a travel agency because Cindy and I probably never traveled much outside of the country. And we went to Florence, and there it was just wonderful. Uh, around that area, it's called Tuscany. Uh, one of the things we had told the group was we didn't want to travel everywhere. We just wanted to go one place. Now, I know some of you, I know some of you like to conquer nations. I know some of you like to start in the north and go to the south or start in the east and go to the west. And we're not like that. We're just wanting to go one place and relax and enjoy things. And so we chose the area of Tuscany. And so as we were in that area, and by the way, um, it is a beautiful area. But it is also very unchristian, meaning it's got a history of being Christianed as a church. The church is, there are churches everywhere. But I'm not so certain the people are Christians, as we would understand being followers of Christ in our day. Now, that's a generalized statement. I didn't need everybody there. But the impression I got was that people basically were living for what they could get out of life. That was their purpose. And so we ate at wonderful restaurants. We enjoyed wonderful conversation. But during the times we were in the restaurants, one of the things that just bothered the Nikki out of me was that every time we ate bread, something was missing. It was bread like you wouldn't believe. It was this beautiful, baked, fresh bread every place we went. But when you took the bread and broke it and put it in your mouth, it tasted like cardboard. And I just couldn't figure out what was the problem here. So I would ask people, I would say, what is it about your bread that, that's so different? And people looked at me like I'm crazy. They said, our bread has always been this way. What are you talking about? Finally realized, you know what was missing? What one ingredient was missing in the bread? Salt. Bread without salt is like eating cardboard. 
I don't care what you put on it. You try this. Go home, get a piece of cardboard, put some peanut butter on it. Probably <laughs> tastes good. But that's about what it tasted like. And the most amazing thing as we were eating this bread was I kept thinking to myself, does anyone know why these people don't put bread in their salt? So I asked. I started asking people, do you know why you don't put salt in the bread? And they were like, um, no, we've always done it that way. One person after another after another until finally, I mean, I was at, y'all, I was at my wit's end. I was losing what little hair I had left trying to figure this out. Finally came to a guy who was at, a, uh, who was at a, an establishment where we had taken a one-day cooking class on how to make pasta. It was so much fun. But as we sat for supper and ate the pasta that we made that day, we began the conversation, and I looked at him, and I said, can you tell me why you don't put salt in your bread? And he said, oh, yes, that's easy. He said, it began three centuries ago when the government, the, the king, needed money, so he taxed the salt that came from the coast. And that's when people said, well, I'm not going to pay that tax. And what did they do? They just didn't put salt in the bread. I mean, they didn't, yeah, they didn't put salt in the bread. And so from those days forward, if you go to Tuscany, even today, you have to ask for salt to put on the bread or put it in the olive oil. Isn't that strange? Now, it, it causes you and I to think clearly about some things that you and I may take for granted because we're entering the week of Easter we're entering a time that on the church calendar was more important than Christmas. In fact, before the turn of this last century, to celebrate Christmas the way we do would be seen as pagan worship. Because the church in America during those days understood that this week was the most important week of our spiritual life as believers because it was the week we understood how our salvation was bought and how we were paid for through the blood of Christ. And yet today, if you go around and look at our stores and look at what's happening in our culture, you ask people, what is Palm Sunday? How many people do you think could tell you? It's the day we celebrated the coming of our King. I'm worried. I'm worried as a pastor. I'm worried as a Christian because I'm thinking we're living in days where you and I have to begin to think very creatively that there are chances that there may be reason people around us don't know these things anymore. And it may be our own fault. It may be because we have come culturally too comfortable with thinking we understand what we believe. When you look at the story, one of the things you find is that Jesus is entering the city of Jerusalem. Now, one of the problems in preaching from the Bible is that I have 20 chapters that came before what we just read. Do you all have about 16 hours to go through that? But I have 20 chapters in Matthew we did not even read. And now we're turning to chapter 21 and we're reading 11 verses. 
And what we're not seeing is all the teaching that Jesus gave, beginning with the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5, and saying, you have heard it said, but I say to you, remember those? You have heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I say to you, if you've looked at another person with lust, you've already committed adultery. You see, this teaching of Jesus was radical, radical. And so when you come to Jerusalem, you, you come to an end of a story where basically people have heard Jesus' teaching for a very long time. People have heard about his healings. They've heard about the miracles he's done. They know who this man is. But as he's coming into the city, the crowd cries out, Who is this? As if they don't know. And some respond, This is Jesus. Do they say the Son of God? No. This is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth. Now, the one thing you need to recognize about that identity is this, if you came from Nazareth, you were inferior. You were a half-breed. So how important could Jesus possibly be? Well, here's what I want you to remember about the story. There's a Persian proverb that really puts it together for you, and it really is quite powerful. The first of the first four lines of the Persian proverb is, there are those who know... There is he who knows not and knows not that he knows not. He's a fool, shun him. When I was talking with those people about bread in in Tuscany and they didn't know why they ate bread, they just ate it. They were foolish because they just did something out of a tradition. And, and, And it's a very dangerous place to be when you do something because you don't know and you don't know you don't know. That's called ignorance. And there are some people who are looking at what's happening in our world today and they're just shaking their head. Some of you have told me this. I don't understand this culture. I don't understand what's going on. I don't understand why we are living the way we're doing our life as Americans. And I want you to know it's because we've lost something. And we've lost it so incrementally that we are no longer as a culture able to discern the missing ingredient. We're missing it. As a culture. The second part of the proverb is this. It says then, he who knows not and knows that he knows not as a child, teach him. Well, what is that about? Well, it's about the fact that there's some recognition. Wait a minute. Something's not right here, but I can't figure out what it is. Something is not clear in my mind, but I know enough to know I better find out what is missing. And then the third part of the phrase is this, he who knows and knows not that he knows, it's asleep, wake him. Uh, Cindy and I just went out to celebrate our anniversary this past Friday and Saturday. We went up to uh, a wine tasting, and so we were at, I don't know if you've been to this place, it's called Round Tip, Round, Round Peak. It's got a beautiful setting looking over things. We were just watching people. I was sitting in a chair And I was just enjoying this nice place and the ambiance and everything about it. And suddenly my wife is tapping me on the shoulder and she says, honey, wake up. (laughs) So much for a great anniversary, right? Wake up, honey. And I'm like, what, what, what? And it suddenly dawned on me I had nodded to sleep. Hey, have you ever done that? It's really a wonderful place of life, isn't it? 
it, it's, it's just that comfortable place where you've kind of nodded off. You're kind of half awake, half asleep. And that's yeah, a place of great comfort. Well, that's the problem with this individual. They know that they don't know. They don't really care. And then the fourth par parable of the Persian proverb is this. He says that there are those who he knows, or one he who knows and knows that he knows is wise, follows them. Let me tell you, that man who told me the reason that there wasn't salt in the bread, I'm pretty much going to believe everything else he says that night. Don't I? It, it, he, he's, he had the answer. When Jesus was in Jerusalem, everyone was looking for something to fill their life. But each of those groups fitted in one of these categories of what they know and what they did not know. Now you know that Jesus died for your sins. You know he bore them on the tree. But is that all you know? I dare say that that's probably the knowledge most people have about Christ. Most people today will say Jesus was a good teacher. Much like the crowd who said he was a good prophet. But is that all we know? Here's what I want to show you this morning about the triumphal entry that we find out about Jesus that is such good news for us. First, this Jesus who entered Jerusalem is our vicar. He's our vicar. What does that mean? He, did, he came as the king that was being expected to come and deliver his people from their sins. If you go back to the verse, and I don't know if you saw it, but in Matthew, as you go back to Matthew chapter 21, you'll see that he is someone who rides on the back of the foal or the colt of, of, of a donkey. And so in doing so, one of the things that's really amazing is he's not the kind of vicar they were expecting in the sense that, that when we think of someone who's going to have the answers, when we think of someone who's going to be giving us the solutions to our problems, we're expecting someone like a white knight on a white silver horse, aren't we? I mean, let's face it, every, every four years, we as people begin to argue with each other about who's going to become the president of the United States as if they would have the answers to the problems we're facing. Really? Do, do you really believe that if we just change political seats in our country that the things that are missing in our lives are going to suddenly appear? Are you that foolish? Because the problems we're facing as a nation are spiritual. They're spiritual. And in light of that, we are reaping what we have sown for generations. And so when we say that Jesus is our vicar, what we're saying is that Jesus is the only one who could come and have a victory over something we had no power to defeat. And do you know what that is? Your sinful nature your sinful nature. 
When he became the vicar, he was the one who went to the cross and paid the penalty of our sin. But he was raised from the dead so that he would offer new life to anyone who would receive him. And that new life is a life led by the Spirit where we renounce sin. We don't embrace it. We try to resist its influence. We don't follow it. We see him as the king that has now come who not only can lead us into a way of life that is precious and wonderful, it is a life filled with joy and happiness, but it is a life that is empowered by him. That he brings the power for us to live. And so when Jesus says, like in Matthew, that my word, you shall live my, my word alone. He's talking about that word of God that's in our hearts, that lives within us. Psalm 119, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The, the whole concept there is that God's word becomes the focus of our life. Uh, did, you, did you hear, by the way, that Tiger Woods is going to play golf again this week? You would have thought that Jesus entered Jerusalem. There has been nothing but talk about Tiger Woods. Some of you are surprised, I can tell. And you're just thinking, what, Tiger who? No, Tiger Woods, the greatest golfer. He's coming back to life. He's going to lead the golfing community into greater heights. And you would think over the last week that Tiger Woods was the answer to the problems of every golfer in the world. Well, you know what Tiger Woods can never do for you? He can never make your life, he can never make your golf game better. I don't care how many times you watch him. And just like that, people think of Jesus in the same way. But there is so much more to Jesus. He not only can give you an example of how to live, as your vicar, he can lead you into the ways of righteousness that actually bless your life. Isn't that glorious? When Jesus entered Jerusalem, he offered that to those people. And one of the Gospels records for us that he began to weep. Do you know why Jesus would weep? Because he had come to give them what they needed in order to live, and they rejected him. And he cried out, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you'd only known. And because they rejected him, 40 years later, Jerusalem was in rubble, destroyed. The second thing that Matthew wants us to understand about this Jesus is that Jesus is our peace. Some of you have been overwhelmed, and I've talked to you, and I've been worried in my heart for you because you look at what's happening in Ukraine, and, the, and, and you look at our economy, and you, you begin to say, what's going to happen to our nation? What's Let me tell you. I can tell you what's going to happen. Go to Matthew chapter 24. Jesus tells us. What does he say? That toward the end of the days, it will go from bad to worse. Are you surprised? Does that shake your confidence that somehow God is not in the heavens and everything is working out to his purpose? 
You see, when we say Jesus is our peace, we're not saying that Jesus is going to usher in a perfect life for us. I know some of you have been listening to sermons on TV that tell you that if you just come to Jesus, he'll pay all your bills, he'll give you a new car, he'll make your husband handsomer and skinnier. I know you've you've heard these. I, I know you've heard the sermons that basically tell you that if you come to Jesus, he will make your business prosper and everything will be perfect. But that's not the Jesus that came to Jerusalem. The Jesus that came to Jerusalem said, in the midst of your turmoil, I will give you the security of your peace. Peace I give to you, not like the world gives, do I give to you. You hear that? And so the peace of the Christian life is not based upon what we have or what we do. It's based upon who we know. And it is a Savior who has paid for all of our sins. He's completely freed us from the dominion of the devil. He has ushered us in the presence of our Father. And he holds us in his hand where we can never be taken from him. Now think about that. Your security is not in what you have in your bank account. It is in the Lord who upholds you with his mighty hand. And by his mighty hand you are able to stand. He is our peace. And you know what the most amazing things are? In my life, maybe you don't have this problem, but when I don't feel the peace of Christ, it's because I haven't spent enough time in the scriptures or enough time in prayer. I haven't spent enough time with Jesus. But when I do spend time with him, my heart is strengthened. My wrinkles on my brow are growing fewer, though the wrinkles of old age are getting bigger. And then thirdly and finally, Matthew is teaching us not only is Jesus our vicar, Jesus is our peace, he is our hope. He is our hope. I don't know about you, but there are certain things I hope for, like I hope for biscuits and butter on Sunday, Saturday morning. I, I hoped, I, I really hoped that actually North Carolina Tar Heels would have won the final game of the, of the basketball season. Did you? No comments. <laughs> there are a lot of things I hope in that never come to fruition but my hope in Jesus will always be firm because my hope is not in something that is trans trans temporary I should say Jesus is not temporary at all why because he is our king and he will never be dethroned I want you to remember that, that Jesus is our king and he will never be dethroned. There will never be a time that God will say to you, I'm sorry, I did, I'm sorry I forgave your sins, I take it back. God says, no, I will always forgive you and cleanse you. There is never a time when God says, I will take away your peace. He says, no, I am your peace and I am with you to the end. There is never a time when we have to worry about the punishment that we so richly deserve because Jesus says, I am your hope of eternal life, and I give it to all those who call upon my name. But here is the most joyful thing about Palm Sunday. 
When we say that Jesus is our king, we talk about a relationship with a person who does something in our hearts that we could not do for ourselves. The larger catechism, you heard Logan read the shorter catechism this morning. The larger catechism says, how is Christ our king? And the answer in that catechism is, as king, Christ calls a people called Center Church to himself out of the world. Did you hear that? That Jesus called you to himself. But it goes on to say, this Jesus bestows saving grace on the elect, meaning you who believe. That he rewards you when you obey him. Do you hear that? He rewards you. As you follow him by faith and obedience, he corrects us for it when we sin. He preserves and supports us through all our temptations and sufferings. He restrains and overcomes the enemies that we face. And he orders everything for his own glory and our well-being. That this King Jesus executes justice and retribution against all those who reject him. That last part doesn't feel good, does it? But that's the most glorious part of it all. That the injustice we see in the world, the things that are so unsatisfactory in life, We have little or no power to change. But Jesus does. And he will. And it will be completed. So when you wave your palm branches. When you place them in the cross. When you leave this place, you do not leave following someone who may or might lead us into ways of righteousness for his name's sake. We follow a king who can deliver you from your sins. Let me tell you, some of you are struggling with things right now and you think no one knows. Jesus knows and he wants you. He's saying to you, come to me. Come to me. Because he's the only one who can deliver. Some of you are dealing with relationship issues. You're not sure exactly the best way to go forward. You've tried everything that Dr. Phil said. You've looked at it. Why don't you go to Dr. Jesus? Find out what he says. You know the most glorious thing? I talked to someone who came to Christ about four months ago. She's a member of my family. She came through faith through a tragedy that happened in her life, and I won't go through all of that, but I can tell you this, that she has been so publicly transformed in her walk with Christ that she's now on Facebook telling people what Jesus is doing for her. And you know the most amazing thing she says? She says to all of her friends who are are looking at her as if she's some crazy idiot following this Jesus stuff, she's writing messages like this, I know many of you think I'm crazy, But I'm spending time reading the Bible in the morning, and it's changing my life. This guy really is real. Jesus is real. It it really works. And she's like, 
amazed. He kind of reminded me of the bread from Tuscany. You're feeling a little like a cardboard texture this morning? Could you have forgotten the one who can make the difference? Jesus. Are you spending time with him? That's the power of this week, my friends. That's the whole reason we're having Holy Week. Is that you would come again to the truth of the gospel and remember how Christ is more than a prophet, more than a teacher, more than a good man. He is the Savior who can save you even in these hours from the things that would draw you away into the darkness of life. And I, I just want you to hear, he stands with his arms open, ready to receive you, ready to love you, ready to lead you if you will just listen to him and follow his word. Would you pray with me? Our gracious God and our Father, as we take this time to think about the preparation of Easter week, we thank you for Palm Sunday, that just as you entered Jerusalem, you promised anyone, anyone who would open their heart to you and invite you in, that you will come into them and you will begin to transform them. There may be someone in the sound of my voice who, who knows all about you but has never gave an invitation to you to enter in. If you're ready to turn from your own desires, your own ways of fixing your life, if you are at the point where you're ready to throw up your hands and say, I can't fix this anymore, then you're ready for Jesus because he will come into you into your heart, into your life, and as he leads you, you will find a freedom you've never known before, a, a joy that you've never experienced. And for those of you who have walked with him for a while, this week is for you that you might remember the source of your salvation and once again rejoice in what God has done and is doing in you. You have to come to him. It's not about coming to church. Each of us has to invite Christ every day. My prayer is that you would do so. We ask and we pray it in Jesus' name. And the people of God said together.